Now, Joins, this is one of the most anticipated interviews ever, the build-up for this interview today, um, and he joins us now. Good afternoon to you, Mick. Welcome to the Country Cup circuit. Thank you. How's your day? Yeah, good. I was having a snooze, actually, but it's all right. <laughs> hey, we did say three. So. Hey, Mick, can you just explain, does Matthew Stewart really turn up on a Sunday morning to do your boxes? Matthew Stewart turns up on Sunday mornings, for the first part's correct. <laughs> no, well, the, the, the kids do do the boxes. Hey, Mick, we've talked, we've talked, we've spoken to Neil Bainbridge and, and others, Kenny Keys, about the, you know, the interesting history of Cranbourne and the, the, the transition from the, the racetrack for training to the training track. And Neil did say that you are not afraid to, um, fire some ideas at him from time to time. He didn't, he didn't say bombard at all. So, <laughs> Mate, just a reflection on the on the on, on the history of your history at Cranbourne. You're one of the most long-standing trainers there. It's a fascinating evolution, the Cranbourne Training Centre and the and the, the local precinct, isn't it? Yeah, I think we're pretty lucky. Um, like we used to train at the racetrack. There was one sand track. That was it. When I first, I was riding work there, and I was riding, and uh, I've been been there all my life. And then, and then they pushed and pushed. It's actually an old sand pit to get. Uh, a training complex built um, nearby. Um, well, I think it's one of the few dedicated training complexes, you know, completely dedicated to training, which is a big plus for it because there's no time constraints. You're not worried about getting off race days and that. Um, it's been there for 25 years, but it's really matured the last decade, I reckon. Um, you know, it's sort of facilities have been upgraded. Uh, you know, it's, um, I've it has to be 25 years old. 25 years old it has to be at least, I reckon. Yeah. And I can still remember when, you know, when they first bought the land and Tommy Harrison was on the, 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 the chairman of the trainers club or trainers club and he and Tom Olsen lobbied hard for it and, um, and that's what started it all. And, uh, look, it's, yeah, it's, uh, so I can, you know, remember all, all the way through to the development of that site. Um, but it's, um, it's really got, got some really nice assets now and I just think being dedicated training only is, uh, is a real big plus. What's the best part about it, Mick? And and are they on the right track? Yeah. Oh, look, there's always some things you'd like a bit better, but basically it's the size of the tracks, I guess. And um, we sort of have enough facilities now. Like we've got three grass tracks or four now. I made Neil put another one in last year. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, but, no, you asked him to put one in last year. You didn't make him do it, Mick. Yeah, well, some things you've got to push, you know. Um, you've got to push a bit hard and... Um, I remember having a good sprinter, Speedo, who had really sort of, he was really stiff in, in, in front and uh, the tracks so sometimes not suitable to put the gallop on. So I said, we need a hill, you know, we need a bloody hill. And he said, I'll build you one. I said, you can't build a hill, you know. You know there's, there's some sand hills adjacent to the property, which we was hoping he might open up. They used to be open years ago, but uh, he broke his leg up there and there was no uh, no access for ambulances, so they closed them. And so we need to get those hills up. He said, no, I'll build you a hill. And he did. So we've got a sand trail now, it's a mile round with a sort of, you know, two or three hundred metre quite sort of sharp little rise in it and um, it's probably the most used track in the place. So, so we have the ability to have a city sort of class training centre with a bit of a country atmosphere. So, so yeah, no, it's got, it's got all the assets like that and it's, um, and it's probably got room to improve it more. I mean, there's one pool, I think they want to put another pool in. I guess the one thing for me would be that I think that we're pretty full and I know there's a push to sort of increase the numbers there, uh, sort of rationalise training and trying to have us in one area seems to be the way that uh, the other way to do it. Um, you know, we carry a lot of official trials there, which we haven't had this year because of COVID. It's been great because it gives us a 
big extra grass track we've had, which the trials haven't used this year for us to have it. Then we've got an inside training grass, and then we've got uh, another half mile section which they used, which was a little gap between the old grass and the and the roadway. And we've just put a new inside grass in. So to have the, the extra grass has been fantastic this year, and um, I hope wish that was the same. I hope they don't come back to official trials because we are getting busier as a training centre and. A bigger and better trainers of course want to work on the grass more so I guess that's something they're going to have to deal with going forward Yeah and uh, Ken Keyes when he was on earlier Mick he kind of said the same thing but uh, you mentioned you know I think you're probably renowned for being on the front foot of training innovation with your bloods and do you and in terms of training are you looking around the world what top class trainers are doing differently just to get that little bit of edge in your training? Yeah well I used to use the Frankston Beach heavily you know and I'm you know, one of the really point early days, I used to love training on the heavy sand, and, and of course that's got more difficult at certain beaches. Um, but I'm allowed to come to the beach here at Frankston now, but I can only paddle. I can't use the, the heavy sand. So uh, that seems to be a real thing in Australia, this heavy sand training. But as far as training, like you know, in the last decade, all the secrets of training for me are probably out there. And um, I, of course, use a little. Uh, I, rely heavily on my heart rates and, and I like to take post-exercise lactates um, just to see how the horse is travelling get an idea of his aerobic capacity or his anaerobic ability um, you know, if he's got any problems I like, I like doing that sort of stuff one of the things with train on a racetrack is to stimulate them you have to sort of go fast you know the, the only way you can really stimulate a horse properly is to go fast and you keep doing that two or three times a week you end up with a horse that gets sore so so there's other ways to try and work the horse a bit harder, a bit safer. It's been one of the strategies recently you've seen. And, uh, as I said, we used to use the beach here, and then Mortal became the place with the heavy sand dune where they could get a really good stimulus without, without um, you know, impact on a skeleton. And then if you go to Europe, uh, of course, they have hills. They all use hills. They all train on inclines, you know, and they'll do interval, intervals at those inclines. That seems to be quite safe an effective way to get a lot of work into a horse. So if you look around the world, the best trainers in the world work a bit harder than most, but there's got to be a safe way to do it. So so it inclines seem to be the way to go, or, or that in Australia we don't sort of have many hills. I know Ballarat have got one, but that's pretty, it's only two degrees. Like That's pretty non-relevant in that regard. Uh, it's not a proper hill like they would have at Newmarket for, say, Wakara. Um, and, of course, in America, you know, it's different. Again, they train on reasonably soft sand but they train very fast but of course they're allowed to they have a high breakdown rate and it's proven that they have sort of you know, have uh, a, lot of, a lot of sandness issues and consequently they have allowed to use a lot of drugs to combat that so they probably have to look at themselves and train maybe in different ways too but so yeah I do look at the world and what people do but as the world's got smaller um, people all those ideas have crossed cross referenced around the world and I think um, there's not too many more secrets now about training a horse but uh, trying to train him safer, keep him sounder is uh, uh, what's at the forefront now. And in terms of um, uphill, or not many options, uphill training options in Australia, are you uh, taking your, the matter into your own hands that someone's told me in terms of a farm that you might be creating or building out? Yeah, I am. I've been trying to do it for years, and I've tried to buy, I've had a look at farms, a lot of farms. It's been something I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, I appreciate it's really handy to be on the Cranbourne. We have probably the best trials of anywhere in Australia, like Australia, we have grass trials every week, like no other complex do I don't vouch for that, having grass trials every Monday, and that's so important to taking um, your horse and educating your horse, but uh, the other part of it is, um, I, you know, I want to use the beach, 
hill, and so um, we found a farm in a Glen Ford, which sort of fits that bill, and we're just developing it now. It's a, a seven-furlong track that I've put on already, and it's quite a nice sort of 500-metre quite deep sand uh, incline in it, and it's only five minutes to a horse permanent beach, which at this stage hasn't got any pressure on it. So uh, so it's uh, so that's something that well, I'm looking forward to utilising that in combined with uh, facilities at Cranber, and I think it gives you all the, all the tools in. Hey, Mick, I could talk to you all day about how you train horses in your philosophies. Like, I just came um, in WA, I was fascinated the way with the way that they train horses in the heavy sand and like a horse like today, like Trap for Fools, that he was worked off the back of a sulking in in the early part of his preparation this time with, with Lindsay Smith. And you talk about interval training and they got a few of their ideas from the standard breads. And when you have a look at, say, um, say Peter Manning in the Great West and the trots, how he used to work his horses up a hill and then the interval training, like the, the best trainer in the trots at the moment, like he'll fast work his horses um, say in the morning, and then give them a break for two hours, and then work them again. Is that what they? Is that what you mean when they interval training in Europe um, up that hill with the thoroughbred? Yeah, yeah. Probably a thoroughbred wouldn't tolerate quite as much exercise as a standardbred. Yeah, a little bit different exercise. Like a, 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 thorough, a standardbred pacing is probably not his fastest gait. You know, he can probably still gallop faster than he can pace. So it's a little bit more aerobic. So they they. Sort of tend to train a bit longer and a bit harder than what the thoroughbred would. But uh, in Europe, you'll see like Warren, Warren Hill's only half a mile eight, and O'Brien Hill's, I think, five furlongs. Uh, but they'll do two or three heats up that hill. You know, they'll can us. And, and same in Japan at Miho, that their hill's six furlongs. They'll do two meaningful heats, uh, you know, like nice strong canner, which would equate in the exercise, which would equate in energy output, same as, say, maybe going, you know, a good thousand metre gallop in a minute on a track. Without any risk of that, you know, because you're going so much slower, you're taking the impact of the skeleton. So, uh, so resistance training, in a sense, um, and it's a good way to get deep into their muscle fibres without actually putting an impact in the skeleton. And as you know now, you know, I don't know if the thoroughbred's born a bit softer, but we have a lot of skeletal issues. You'll see all these Europeans next week, they'll be two or three go lying. They'll be going down with CT scans to see how close to fracturing they are. Uh, you know, if we do have a lot of skeletal problems in the thoroughbred. We breed more for speed than durability, and um, so we limit their galloping on fast work as much as you can, um, because you might only have so many gallops in a cycle of a horse's life while you stay sound. So, so that's one of the real things. And yeah, Perth's interesting because Perth's like built on that Indian Ocean, yeah. like it's just a foreshore for 20k. So there's heaps of heavy sand, and they've learned to use it very well. Uh, like I'm going to go back to the days of Greg Harper, Andrew, uh, and um, when he was, he was a trotting trainer and he was working gallopers in the heavy sand like the trotters and he was training the trotters like the gallopers and was having a lot of success and there's so Vinci Smith and um, I think even Alan Matthews, you know, trains in a really heavy sand track and they've had great success doing it. So uh, it seems to have been something that's sort of filtered over here. Um, it's probably got more publicity when Darren Weir was using it down at Warnable. Uh, like it's really heavy, that Warnable beach, that Levi's beach, not what you see on TV, but uh, the one at Lady Bay. You've got to go into the... You can't walk in there. It's that heavy. It's uh, so windy. The sand's got a real lightness about it. You, know, you hop deep. You find there's this one dune that's not so steep. The rest are very steep. And it's sort of only 390 metres long. But you can up there twice. We were sort of getting lactates of... Well, I had horses down there. I used to go down and test them. And you get lactates of 12 or 13 just cantering, which is, like, again, you know, 
meaning uh, would mean on a track would mean you're galloping half a mile fast to get that sort of same stimulus, but you have not impact on that horse's skeleton. Also, so I think that's something that um, you can work a horse harder and safer while he's in heavy sand. And, and as I said to you before, I think the the best trainers I know, like Willie Mullins and, and Bob Baffert, America, and all these great trainers, Evan Aiden, are quite firm. They're quite firm trainers. They 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 do push their horses solid. Uh, and if you want to get the best of an athlete, I guess that's the way you do. Uh, they're hard trainers and. Um, and they've just got to work out a safe way to work this horse as hard, hard as they can. All right, and you do seem to have the, the property uh, being created. You mentioned Aidan O'Brien a couple of times. The the annual influx is here with 29 this year and 10 between Aidan and um, his son Joseph and the CT scanner will be at their, uh, well, not at their disposal, but they, that will be implemented if horses uh, require it at no cost to them. Uh, you are of the view that they get a, a, a pretty cosy run, the, the the annual international invaders. Oh, of course I do, Matty. I, I think um, I'm not I'm not anti them coming, but I don't see why we should subsidise them coming, and especially RVL. And RVL represent us, represent participants. That's our money. I, I believe the money they have to spend is the money of my of owners, trainers, and jockeys who have worked hard, working night meetings, Sunday meetings, to raise that money. And they bought that CT scanner a few years ago, and it was probably the internationals that prompted them to because they were coming out here, and they were it's such a different training environment. They're, they're the classic horse to break down. They've been in work all season. They've been going up straight hills and inclines and working on big galloping tracks straight with soft ground. We take them. They taper. That's a couple of weeks of quarantine. They taper so their bone starts getting into resorption mode. Then we put them on the tightest little circuit we can find, uh, and, and and turning change the change the stress on the bone and then put them out on the track. So, you know, we can't afford, as you know, as welfare to have horses getting smashed up on the track. So 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 they brought the C T scanner to try and eliminate that. And it does. It's fantastic imaging. But what does irk me a bit is that they're subsidising Aiden to come here. They'll give him free quarantine, free feed, free vet, free accommodation, free start. Uh if it was me with the horse in quarantine, I think I saw a red article earlier this year that the locals, even if I was importing a horse to a local trainer, he had to pay for all that. And I sort of think, well, yeah, it's okay. I wonder where that, that... And they get free CT scans. And I think I mentioned to you, I had a horse done yeah, a couple of weeks ago, one hind limb for 900 bucks. And you think, well, hang on, we, just, we pay for that. But just rather you'll mm. pay half that machine, uh, take, take 3% of welfare out of every pot for equal on a welfare... And all they and, all, and they still want to charge a full whack to use that machine, and I think that it's probably more important as a welfare tool than all the propaganda that they want, to, want us to do over the spring. Because that's about all I've seen them do is get an email from uh, from RBL saying, "Make sure over the spring you tell you tell everyone how much you love your horses." And I think well, that's fine. It's propaganda, but why don't we do something real? And, and so yeah, and going back to internationals, I, I don't mind them coming. Is it RBL's job to procure them? Um, I, I can't see. You'd have to. Someone have to convince me how it dovetails into improving our industry. They don't bring stallions. Uh, they depress income, uh, depress turnover. Um, sure, they might make their races rate a bit higher, but they take about eight or ten million dollars home with them every year. Uh, and one of the offshoots, which I which I've been finding, is owners are inclined not to breed or buy stayers now in Australia because you know we can't compete with internationals. So people have given up. So. So we're doing our thing. We put this carnival on. Um, we fly them over and subsidise all, the, all their quarantine. Uh, they take the money and leave geldings here. They usually sell them to our clients, leave them here, and they become jumpers or 
Oh, I just don't think, I can't see where it's benefiting the industry and I don't mind them coming. I think if the BRC wanted them for the Melbourne Cup, it should be the BRC's job to procure them. If the Melbourne Racing Club or the Moonville wants it for their Cox Plate or Caulfield Cup, they should procure them. It should not be up to RVL. RVL essentially work for participants and control the money and I think it's a really bad spend. It's really as bad a spend as giving that jockey's bonus last year. Uh, $100,000 jockey's bonus is to subsidise... Um, you know, cool more stuff, and they no Brian to come here and take our money. Uh, without, you know, it does I said it doesn't doesn't help our industry. You know, they don't leave stay-ins. Well, they don't. They don't. You know, it's not like they're improving our brooding. I mean, the Japanese come win our Cox Plate and Cox Cup last year. Won't see them again. They, you know, they don't have a big investment here. I just you would have to convince me that it, that spend would be good for us, and I yep. can't see how it is. All right, no, uh, I get where you're coming from, and it's certainly food for thought. Hey, we uh, the next at Cranbourne's. Uh,